The only reason why we have EMF, back EMF, excuse me, is because the voltage is going in one direction. And that's what's causing the, the back EMF, not the current. The current suffers because the uh, voltage creates resistance. See, I learned a long time ago in playing around with simulated uh, circuits that resistance may impede voltage, but it works both ways. It's a bidirectional relationship. Voltage can, impede, can create resistance. Now, how can the, we put this to good use to eliminate back EMF? How? By, um, not, by cross-winding a coil, uh, maybe, but not in this instance. We create something that kind of resembles a transistor, but doesn't really behave like one. All right, so I've modified... It's good that I received your criticisms. Thank you, and that you gave them. You know, why a fluid? A baking soda borax fluid for a transistor doesn't make any sense. Okay. So I substituted in a, a dielectric uh, electret medium, which I now call a dielectret, according to Mark McKay's analysis of the recipe that was very popular 100 years ago. The general recipe that everybody had variations on and Tesla had his own version, which was 5% carnauba wax, and the balance was 50% pine rose and 50% beeswax. Now that has both dielectric properties and electret properties. Okay, so we create a three-terminal component, and one of the um, leads going into it, or approaching, shall we say, approaching the component. One of our connections <laughs> approaching the component is aluminum wire, and the other two are either iron or copper. Now, the aluminum does not enter into the component. It is connected to an aluminum plate on the outside. Meanwhile, either the two iron connections or the two copper connections in either case, they become electrode leads that go into the component inside of it. So they pass through a dielectric vessel or dielectret, if you prefer, maybe, inside of which is a hydrogel, I'm guessing. Now that's speculation. In, in as much as we have to go. I have to go back to the fluid concept, but maybe not borax baking soda, because now I've excluded aluminum from the equation, so it doesn't have to be borax baking soda. It can be something else. And then I thought of, well, how about salt? No, you're going to create hydrogen gas, and that's no good. You'll get current, but it's no good. So, what's the point of the liquid? And then I thought of a hydrogel used in certain battery chemistries, such as nickel cadmium or nickel metal hydride. Well, let's stick with nickel metal hydride. Um, now, I don't know the properties of hydrogel. I'm just thinking there has to be now a subdivision between these three electric, electrical connections, one of which is not a connection per se, the aluminum, because, well, no, it is, but it's not. Um, it does not pass current. It's designed merely to apply voltage. Why? Here's the kicker because voltage will increase resistance. Now, why do we want that? Well, the iron coil is going to remember in between um, any kind of surge when there's a lull 
uh, nearby the median of the oscilloscope tracing. You know, it's neither too positive or too negative. Um, there's going to what we're going to see if we had X-ray vision or whatever. We had a computer or simulator for a brain. We would see remnants as about the only thing left remaining in the iron barrel-shaped coil because that iron is like a PMH experiment, a perpetual motion holder experiment. We have remnants in the coil. And having voltage, and then in the copper, we're going to have no memory, no magnetic memory. And that helps to amplify reactants, electrical reactants. So we get more extreme voltage uh, reactances or result, or more extreme spikes of voltage resulting from um, the application of voltage. So we accentuate the voltage response. But regardless of how copper behaves contrary to, to iron, when we use aluminum applying a voltage presser, pr uh, pressure to a voltage um, spike or a voltage incre an increase of voltage to the exterior vessel of this component, which contains something conductive on the inside, I'm, I'll take. I'm just speculating, I guess, of hydrogel, whatever that means. <laughs> what happens is when the current wants to pass from one iron lead to the other, or from one copper lead to the other, or electrode, if you prefer to call them, because they're entering into the conductive medium, supposedly hydrogel, for the purposes of this discussion. Let's just posit that possibility. We are increasing resistance in that hydrogel. Now, what does that mean? Well, instead of getting back EMF, we don't get back EMF. We re or we reduce it. We reduce the back EMF significantly, hopefully, so that it doesn't compete with the current. Because remember, back EMF is a reverse application of what? Resistance. But caused by what? We, we keep saying it's current, but it's really reactive voltage um, resulting from various impedances, in this case inductive impedance, within a framework of time. So what I'm guessing now is that we accentuate the peaks of whatever is oscillating and we de-emphasize the nadirs. We de-emphasize the nadirs so that we get more extreme spikes or surges. And we want that. In fact, we want it to keep increasing, and that's what's going to happen. It's going to, ampli it's going to have an accelerative effect or a, a cumulative. It's going to have an accumul accumulative amplification up to a certain limit. I don't know, based on the design of the thing, you know, like how much inductance on the iron coil, for instance how much capacitance on the Leyden jar or slash capacitor that's on the copper side. Because um, that's going to matter. Those two things are going to help regulate um, the capacity for the two forces, the electro, um, the dielectric force and the magnetic force. Let's leave it at that. <laughs> I'm not very good with electromotive and, uh, and magnetomotive. Although... The electromotive is the dielectric and the magnetomotive is the magnetic. Okay, whatever. So we already have names for those forces, whatever. Um, don't have to make up new ones or transfer Eric Dollars over. 
Uh, in any case, we're accentuating. So it, it becomes, okay. So I think that's what's happening. Why? Because I'm wondering what kind of gating effect, because that's the whole point of a transistor. Normally, you ha- or a vacuum, t- especially a vacuum tube, you have the base it, it has usually like a screen in between the, the collector and the emitter inside the vacuum tube. So we're not doing that here, are we? Right. It's, it's a little different. A little different uh, theology here. <laughs> Conceptualizations. Um, so now we're simply increasing voltage in a periodic manner, random or regulated, to increase resistance of the conductivity between the two uh, iron electrodes leads or the two copper electrode leads going through some kind of conductive medium I'm assuming for the purposes of discussion why not uh, posit the possibility of a hydrogel now I thought well as soon as I thought of hydrogel at first I thought well that sounds like a battery well it is but it's got um, let's see if I get this right two anodes and one cathode the cathode being the aluminum and the anode being either the copper or the um, iron leads, pair of leads. And that's useful. That's nothing wrong with that. So we got a battery. So the Amon brothers glide. <laughs> oh, boy. They said there was no battery. Without batteries. Well, but they put two batteries in there. But they're dynamic batteries. They're transistor batteries. Wrap your mind around that concept. It's a kind of a blend between battery chemistry and um, transistor chemistry, or transistor dynamics, I should say, because we still have the gating effect of the aluminum lead. Applying voltage, increasing resistance, reducing um, current... Wait a second. No, I may have this backwards. Maybe it's increasing back EMF. Why would that be useful? To build up voltage, of course. And then it's left to the responsibility of the iron coil to remember the current in the format of a magnetic field. Right. Because yet you have to wonder what's going on. Well, what's going on in a PMH, PMH experiment is the remembrance... the, the of the magnetic uh, of the magnetism inside the iron or is it the field associated with the iron in the PMH experiment it might make a difference <laughs> because copper may want to um, centralize that magnetic field into itself as currency now that makes sense that's why uh, copper has le- God gave copper six times less resistance than iron, because the iron is remembering the magnetic field. But see now, aluminum would do that outside itself, so that doesn't make any sense. But it wouldn't remember it either. Oh, of course not, because it expels it. Why should it remember it? So now we have to. Oh my God, this is disgusting. Oh, this sounds bizarre. I'm going to have to say it, though. Both iron and copper exhibit a dynamic flow inside themselves, except for the fact that with the case of 
copper, it's current, and with the case of iron, it's magnetism. But it's both internalized, and that's why... Um, but... Um, <laughs> hmm. Well, oh, I see. Be oh, no, see? Because the, pa the paramagnetism of aluminum expels it. And so it loses control, so there's no memory. But iron internalizes, but it's still a magnetic field in the space between the iron particles. That's why nobody bothers to insulate the iron wire. Because they don't need to, because it's not current. It's magnetic field, but it's inside the iron wire in the spaces between the iron atoms. Okay? So that makes sense. Meanwhile... The current <clears throat> is a change of state of voltage, a dynamic state of changing voltage, engaging the valence shell electron orbitals of the copper atoms that are linked together as copper wire, or copper tubing, <laughs> or as the case may be. So it's different dynamics to create an equivalent reality, but because it's different dynamics, it's different behavior. So the iron remembers... While the copper accentuates um, the surges, um, but now if we create this hydrogel-style transistor, <clears throat> oh boy, um, that increases resistance. and everything is locked together, synchronized, we're actually increasing back EMF. Why would that be useful? Hmm. See, it, I wanted to say in the beginning uh, a, a reduction of back EMF, but um, because I was assuming that because it goes in reverse, it goes on every half cycle, the, the subsequent half cycle, rather than the applied cycle, the, the resulting half cycle, the reactive half cycle. <clears throat> and actually that's true. <clears throat> I think. Not really though. Because back EMF wouldn't be able to fight the application of voltage if it did not go in reverse. But that's in a copper coil. Well, whatever. In any case. Um... No, it sounds like this is actually accentuating back EMF. I'm sorry. But why would we want to do that? Well, to increase voltage on the copper side. Duh. <laughs> and, oh, I see what I would see. Now, this is what I was... Oh, I knew there was a reason why I said that. Okay. Um, the way it's set up there is no distinction between collector versus emitter. And that means two flows are happening simultaneously going in opposite directions. Remember, Edward Leedskalnin said that. He claimed they are mono current is a monopole and it always goes in opposing directions simultaneously. The north polar one goes in one direction and the south polar goes in the opposite direction. But what if we create a circuit dynamic in which we have two north poles on every half cycle going in opposite directions and then two south poles going in opposite directions? We get a cancellation of current, don't we? 
and current is the um, resulting vote. Well, oh boy, um, that means that if voltage is cyclic, you know, it alternates polarity every half cycle, but the current does not because the current is always going in both directions per half cycle, even though each you know, if we labeled names on the two on each of the two north, let's say the North Pole um, monopole um, objects of energy <laughs> um, of magnetism, um, to distinguish them, and they swap places. Still, they're like they're twins, so it doesn't really matter <laughs> for all intents and purposes. But um, so we're going to actually going to get both that's it okay finally yeah, i'm sorry i'm groping here we're going to get an accentuation of back emf per half cycle and then a diminishment of back emf per half cycle so we get this extreme back emf per half cycle and then like let's say next to nothing uh, on subsequent half cycles um and that's means that we're going to get a dynamic that's going to accentuate voltage per half cycle and accentuate current per half cycle. And this, see, I designed... See, I'm limited with um, simulated circuits. I can only do so much. So with your help, I'm able now to figure this out in my head. Not to say I have a simulator for a brain like Nikola Tesla, but just by logical conclusion, I'm thinking my way through this. So... In the past, what I would do is I would I'd use a technique in which I would have a kind of a step-down transformer situation. Um, but because it's being generated within the circuit, it's the same as if it were electrically um, shorted between the two sides of the transformer because it's magnetically coupled between the two coils of the transformation. And usually it's not two coils on either side. It's a minimum of a pair of coils on either side of the transformer. And ideally, a third coil that's magnetically coupled to the four, the two pairs. But And in that case, when it's step down, step up, you get an accentuation of voltage on one side, an accentuation of current on the other side, and you change your uh, gauge, the wire, you, you use uh, a wire gauge that encourages resistance on the voltage side, um, the upside of the let's say the step-up transformer and then you use a much wider girth a, a lower uh, wire gauge uh, number on the, 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 the side that accentuates current over voltage and because they're magnetically coupled you get a nice amplification of watts because we're not applying power to this transformer on one side and then getting it transferred we're empowering this uh, coupling of uh, two pairs of coils to produce, to generate power from within itself because we've also managed to get amps and volts to segregate uh, themselves from each other by a whole half cycle, causing the whole thing to become a generator. But this is a different way of doing that. Instead of demographically segre segregating voltage in one area of a circuit and current in another, we're segregating it in time so that it's it appears, though, everywhere, so there's no area that it is being segregated, but it's then it's replaced by its opposite force, ingredient of electricity, accentuated, 
over time in a dynamic or alternating manner. So instead of saying AC power, this is something else. This is something else because it's not merely the alter an alternation of polarity of applied voltage um, getting, again, a polarity, a polarization of back EMF when you transmit down the length of a transmission line. Now, no, now we're getting this confusion of, of status because uh, 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 insofar as current is concerned. So it's not alternating current so much as it's the alternation of back EMF. So half the time, half the cycle, it's competing with you and half the time it's helping you. And by getting this accentuation, we're now accentuating current and voltage per half cycle everywhere in the circuit rather than segregated demographically. And this is a very interesting concept. I never thought of time being a way of segregating current from voltage dominating the circuit in order to, because you have to do that in order to manipulate those two forces. We can't separate them. Ohm's law. They're squeezed together by multiplication. And this always bothered me 30 years ago when I first tried to take 101 electricity in community college. And I, I couldn't stand the fact that amps is times volts making it a singularity when we don't treat them as such. We treat them as two different entities that we measure separately with two different devices. Uh, why aren't they summed? Why are they multiplied against each other, making them a singularity? This doesn't make any sense. Well, in nature, they are individual singularities that make up the ingredients of electricity, but in order to have electricity, they have to be bonded to each other in such a manner that we see them as, manifest as, a singular, a singular um, force, which is the daughter of the two parents. And the daughter of electricity does not exist unless the electromotive and the magnetomotive forces are combined and in phase, blah, blah, blah. But um, we're playing with this now so that we get back EMF. We get not the alternation of current, but the alternation of back EMF. That is bizarre. And meanwhile, current's going in both directions per half cycle in equal quantity, which you would think is useless, but not when you're changing your impedance every half cycle. So it's not the alternation of current, it's the alternation of inductive impedance. Oh, how do you like that one? So instead of AC power, we've got... What is that? AII. <laughs> oh, this is good. Instead of dumb robots that Will Smith and iRobots couldn't uh, trust them as far as he could chuck them, now we've got I um, I squared, shall we say, or I uh, I sub two um, or two I a two I. Yeah, let's call it a two I. Let's not. Uh, well, no, everything in Ohm's Law is multiplied, so... <laughs> um, okay, I squared. So we got AI squared, al al um, alternating... Um, 
hyperbolic impedance <laughs> because it's accentuated. So it might be a geometric um, accentuation as opposed to uh, arithmetic. See, now this side, I wouldn't know. Um, what happens when you do something like this? Is it is the accentuation multiplicative or is it additive? That's something only uh, somebody who tests this out could figure out. But now the, the theory behind it makes sense because of the modification based on your criticisms. Thank you so much for your criticisms. I wouldn't have been able to do this without you because I don't have any formal training. All I got is intuition and the desire to get involved to help out. That's it. And the time I've spent training myself to the extent that I have. But, you know, you can only go so far when you raise yourself up by your own bootstraps instead of somebody helping you out. So whoever is feeding me this um, knowledge is only one contributor. Your criticisms mean you are now the contributors and, and you have, have as, as much to blame or take the credit depending on how you want to look at it because, you know, we could be destroying the economy for what we're doing. We're, we're such rebels, you know, uh, domestic terrorists. Um, creating a whole new way of living together, a society that uh, can't use money anymore because we can't charge for energy, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> energy has to be... The power station has to be built into every appliance, and so you get energy for free for the lifetime of that appliance, basically, until it needs repair or replacement. It's the way I look at it from a politi political, uh, socio-economic uh, standpoint. This kind of free energy technology means that... Uh, and that's the way they did it in, in Atlantis. They had a... What was it? A socialistic uh, government. It, it wasn't uh, what we have. <laughs> it was socialistic. Yeah, everybody got housing and uh, heating and lighting and cooling transmitted optically, I think, over fiber optics uh, for free. It was uh, allocated to you. All you had to do is pick what job you want to work at. <laughs> you know? You didn't get paid for working. You, it was just considered your duty to work. You know? And that's the way I look at my contributions because I never had to work until recently. And so I felt, okay, public service, voluntary service is the way to pay back society. So I started with three people and the L.A. Philharmonic docent and the Hollywood Bowl docent, uh, become a docent. Um, and then I just went to the Internet and said, hey, I can <laughs> stick to the Internet and pick and choose my uh, voluntary service. I don't have to uh, be under anybody else's authority anymore. Um, but that means I'm isolated from everyone to some degree because I'm not sure how to go about learning. So I would learn. I would examine and witness what other people did. I'd look at their software code, how they did their JavaScript, their Perl script and whatnot, and try to uh, you know, apply it to my situation and make uh, modifications thereby. But in this case, it's a little bit harder to do something like that. Uh, because we don't have free energy examples, it's all been repressed, so I can't study working examples. So uh, to get any idea, I just have to do like Edison, uh, the hard way, to get my training. To think sort of like a simulator thinks, and then get theory from the internet to make up the difference so that I can modify in my head how electricity would work in a circuit simulated in my head. But I still need help from you guys, as well as whoever is feeding me, um, 
archetypes mainly. They're they're kind of like generic, you know, schemes there in which the details are not mapped out, and and so I still have to grope for those details with your help. And I guess that's why Aaron Murakami, it was fortuitous that he do what he did and and publish what he did when he did because I had already started to receive some images or whatever thought concepts. And that was my cue to get involved with his contribution, that thread, um, so that I could engage your criticisms. And they're very valid and they're very useful. So it's kind of like a transistor, kind of like a hydrogel battery, kind of like a capacitor, um, kind of like a, di- a diode, a borax baking soda diode. Um, so now I'm not so sure the aluminum is preconditioned whether or not it needs to be because it has to – it's flanked or it has to pass through a dielectric or a dielectret material, as the case may be, before the other two leads receive that impetus coming from the aluminum side of that three-ring circus, <laughs> what I called a transistor. So it's not a really a conventional transistor. It's, it's a custom-made transistor, right? Exactly. It's a customized transistor, customized for the purposes of accentuating the alternation of back EMF. How do you like that? A new form of power resulting from the alternation of back EMF. There you go.